Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you. So thankful to be here. So thankful to be back. Thank you for letting me have a a week off down at the beach. I'll hopefully look a little tanner. I managed to not get burnt this year, so I'm pretty happy about that. I stayed under the umbrella like a good boy. But I'm thankful for Adam. He's up. If y'all came last week, he got us kicked off. He's preaching at the Wilson campus today. Thank, thanks to Adam, though, for giving me a break and the team. Uh, we're going to continue our series, this series called Come Together, where the, really the whole notion here is that we would be uh, doing life together, that more and more we would uh, be united as we do church together, but bigger than that, that we would be doing ministry not only in these walls, outside these walls, that discipleship would be a, a real emphasis here, that we would be true community. So today we've titled this, part two of Come Together, we've titled Growing Up Together, Growing Up Together. And so... This is kind of an interesting title. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with it, I think, because what I've observed is something I imagine a lot of you have observed, and that is that people are growing up a whole lot slower these days. Now, I don't know what that... I'm not talking about physically. People are... I see, you know, teenagers this, these days that are much taller than me. I'm not talking about physical. It seems like they're getting bigger and bigger, actually. That's kind of impressive. We're going to have, be walking amongst giants before long. But, uh, but, but maturity, this thing called maturity, this thing called growing up and taking new steps, it seems like we're doing those slower and slower. And we're, we're armed with all kinds of new things, new phrases. It, you can go, you can Google this right now and you'll find every kind of medication, every kind of beauty product for making you stay young forever, right? And if that doesn't work, you can do some things to like, I don't know, stretch your wrinkles out. Get rid of these things I recently called, are called 11s. I didn't know that. These are your 11s. I got some good ones. These are from the kids, right? But you can stretch your face. You can try to look young forever and you can, you can have new phrases. I heard these phrases for a while. I don't know if they're still happening, but like 40 is the new 20, and 50's the new 30. I think 50-year-olds say that, maybe. I don't know. But the numbers stay the same. It doesn't matter what you say. 40 is still 40. And this is what we're struggling with. But it's more than that. It's more than that we're trying to stay young. It's also that any examples of maturity, it seems like we're doing those slower and slower as a culture. I want to pop up a chart for you for just a moment. I don't, I don't I want to overchart you today, but... This is a graph that's showing the age of marriage among men and women over the last several decades. And you can notice a very, very uh, easy to see trend. People are getting married later and later every year. Okay. I don't, I don't have any idea why that is exactly. And I'm not, that's not my goal today. But however, there's these steps like marriage, steps like moving out of your parents' house, steps like getting a serious job. They seem to be getting pushed back, back, back. Our culture is, maybe has a problem with growing up. So it's interesting that I, my title today is, Let's Grow Up Together, when the culture seems to. Even children or young people nowadays, it seems like none of, nobody wants to drive anymore. I'm confused by this. I, I, y'all are running into this, young, uh, young parents, parents of teenagers. I'm hearing about this more and more. It's, they're 16 and they're like, I don't really want to get my license. I can tell you right now, I wanted to get my license and just drive around town just for the fun of it. Like, see, see new worlds that my, oh, I don't, think my, I don't think my parents knew I'm back in here going 120. Uh, that Saturn could do it, y'all. y'all. Y'all didn't know my little gold Saturn. It was, it's the speedometer said 125. I think 120 was the max. Uh, and the doors would start striking. Just going fast. Kids now, though, don't want to do that. Now, I don't, that's probably a good thing, that last part. However, we're pushing these steps farther and farther back. And I wonder, I wonder if it's because people are hearing all of the downsides of growing up without any of the good sides. I wonder if it's overall we've been somewhat lied to, or, or at least these younger generations, that, you know, children are, are, are a detriment to your joy, you know. Or that, that, having, that growing up, if you get a real job, then you can't have fun anymore. You have to actually be on time for stuff. And you hear all the negative sides to things, perhaps. That's just my, my idea of what could be going on. No one ever sees the positives, the joys, the freedoms. Look, people, I do not want to go back and live under my parents' house. It sounds good in theory. Like, 
It'd be nice to have my mama's cooking every day. That'd be pretty great. It'd be nice to not pay bills again. But if I just would think back for a moment, it was pretty awful not being able to do what I want, when I want, stay up as late as I want. Now, I probably should have someone every once in a while say, hey, Jonathan, you should really go to bed. Like, what are you doing? But all of those freedoms, we never talk about the joys of growing up, the joys of holding a job that expresses your strengths, the joys of just driving down an old country road with the wind in your hair. There's joys, there's freedoms and maturity. There's joys in growing up. And all of the peace and joy, the fruit of the Spirit, lies in this thing we call the church that grows and builds on itself. A group of people who get together with a shared faith, with a shared dream, with a shared passion for the community. That is, that is a kind of joy that most don't experience. Do you feel a sense of this? Like you personally are kind of stuck maybe? Stuck in your own personal growth? I've, maybe you feel like you've plateaued in a way. Like I've kind of been this person for so long. I'm not experiencing a lot of growth. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a dead-end job. Battling, maybe you feel like you're battling the exact same arguments you've been battling with your spouse for 20 years. You're like, how are we still fighting about this? There's no growth. There's no signs of progress. When's the last time, I wonder, you learned something new? You read something new? You did something? You developed a new skill? Or more importantly than all of these things, when's the last time you heard from God? You heard something in His Word, in, his, in prayer. You heard from the Lord. There's this old saying, and it's still true. It will always be true, and that is, healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. Which implies that dead or dying things don't grow. Church, if we are to be a church that is healthy, we have to grow up together. Now, that certainly means that we're reaching people evangelistically, but it's much, much larger than that. And really, that's not the scope of what I'm going to get into today. Today is about what would it look like to be a church that truly unites, truly disciples, truly gets serious about one another and loving each other as Christ loved the church. All right, as we'll see today, this is what Christ has called us to. This is what he's equipping us to do. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is one of those money uh, books in general. Just so much there for us to take instruction from. And in chapter 4, we see the Apostle Paul instructed the church of Ephesus that Christ Jesus had already given them everything, equipped them to grow together in every way into his, into his fullness, into the wisdom and stature of Christ. He had already done that. And we too as his church can grow up together in every way into the fullness of Christ. So let's dig in. We're going to see the text give us three ways to grow up together into his fullness. Ephesians chapter 4, just a few verses. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself after the last time I preached. It was three chapters, y'all. Man, I might have time. I might have time to really get down up here. Chapter 4, Ephesians verse 11. It says, He gave, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, And the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. I want to be a part of that church. That church excites me. That's the church I hope we are and are becoming. That we're going to be more of that every day, every year. We are to grow up together into the fullness of Christ. And how do we do that? First, by being equipped for ministry. Now I know you're thinking, wow, that's a real churchy word you just threw at us. And I'm pretty sure only some of us are called to ministry. You're wrong if you think that. Uh, Let me just go ahead and put that right out to you. We, if you call yourself a Christian, we have all been called to ministry. 
various types of ministry, but ministry nonetheless. We have unique skill sets for the ministry he's called us to. Notice he says here, for the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? The Christians, the holy ones, those set apart. Those are those being equipped. Now, he starts off by saying, and he gave. The he here is Christ. He gave. Christ has already done it. He has already, through his Holy Spirit, giving us everything we need in order to equip the saints. Equip here is this word that literally means to bring to perfection or bring to completion. That means Christ intends us, those, those that he's giving skills, to help everybody in the church to do their ministry to a point of completion. That you would get everything you need in order to achieve the task. And he's given us these five, this five-fold gifting. Paul later writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he says, So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's the goal. That's the goal of those, those shepherds, those who are equipping, is that they would bring the whole church, all of the saints, to a point where they're equipped for every good work. That you would be ready for whatever you're about to face in your work day and in, in the business world, out in the community, that that's what we're doing together is equipping for good work. And then he goes on in verse 12 to say, the work of ministry. The ministry word there is a word that actually sounds a lot like an English word we know, and it's the word diakonos. Diakonia is the word. It's where we get the word deacon. Deacon literally means servant, one who serves. It can also mean one who proclaims. So, what he's talking about here is, all right, we're gonna, Christ has already given us the church. He's given us everything we need so that we can begin to prepare each other to a point of completion so that we can do Christian service, Christian proclamation, that we can all be diakonos, that we could be deacons, if you will, in the places he sends us. And here's the ways in which he's done it. He gives us five. He says, Apostles, apostles, apostolos is the word here. Prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Now, I would encourage you, you can do this. There's a lot of these online. They're free. These, they call them APEST tests. You can remember that, APEST. It's apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. All right, there's a lot of these, teach, these, 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 uh, these skills tests online. Let me know later. I'd be interested to see what you get. Um, but it, it turns out that all of us have some leaning, something that we're more interested in when it comes to uh, evangelism, service, that we tend to have a leaning somewhere. Just so you know, my, my highest is teaching. That's probably a good thing. I'm thankful that that's how it read out. My highest one is teaching, then profit. I was kind of low on this one called shepherding, which worries me a little bit. But I'm working on it, church. I'm working on it. But here's the good news. The good news of this text is that Christ has gave the church everything it needs to equip. He didn't give me all of them. He didn't give you probably all of them. He gave you something. Some of you in the room are high E. The word there, evangelist, is euangelion. It means the messenger of good news. It doesn't mean that there's just a handful of people at the church that do all of its evangelism. Don't, don't, don't miss this. These people are called to equip the saints. That means those naturally gifted, or should I say spiritually gifted, at evangelism are supposed to teach us how they do what they do. Wow, how, how did you start up that conversation? How did you begin to have this type of spiritual conversation in your workplace? How did you do this in your community? And they begin to show us and instruct us how to do those things better. That's why Christ gave these things. Apostle, the big A, the capital A apostle, I don't believe these exist anymore. These are the ones who saw the risen Christ. These are the disciples. These are Paul. But the, the gift of apostle is another thing. I think those are, are still given. This broader sense of one who's a delegate, one who blazes trails, if you will. I think to some, God gives the gift of being just pioneers, trailblazers. Those are those apostle-like giftings, that they're the ones to start something where no one else has gone. The prophets, those filled with the Spirit of God, with the authority of the Word, pleading the cause of God. Often in the Old Testament, the prophets were those who could see or have insight into the future. Perhaps he still does this to some degree as well. Those he gives in a way to see what's wrong. The shepherds. Some of you are actually far better at this than, than I am. The word shepherd is poimen. 
It's, it's often translated pastor, shepherd, but it's one who has a sense of care and, and comfort for those around them, keeps the sheep together. Think shepherd, really. It's the one who makes, even when the one runs off, he goes and helps that one come back. He nurtures, he cares. Uh, I, didn't, I wasn't born with a heavy dose of empathy and compassion. I like it. However, the Lord is teaching me more all the time. But some of you in this room have been given a really strong gift of shepherding, teaching. Now, these, these various equippers are here to help us. And all of you, here's what's the beautiful part about being the church. This is how we grow up together. As we come together on Sundays, we come together throughout the week in small groups or however, you know, your friendships, you come together for the sake of growing, equipping, that you would be more complete every day for the ministry you're doing outside of these walls. That we, we gather together so that we would scatter with the good news. And so the ministry, we're being equipped all the time. It kind of reminds me, uh, and some of you are sports kind of people. I'm sort of a sports nut. I wasn't like the most gifted athlete, but I love sports. And this reminds me of football more than anything. Because in football, you have like a, a ton of coaches. There are so many different positions. It's, it's a, kind of a complex sport, really, when you break it down. And I can remember in high school, we had, you know, Obviously, your O-line coaches, offensive line, your defensive line coaches. You had linebackers coaches, defensive back coaches. Like there's a coach for every little sector. You had your defensive coordinator who controls the whole thing. There's all these coaches, and they have this really specific job. I was a wide receiver and defensive back on a team that never threw the ball. It was a lot of fun. I did a lot of blocking. Supposed to be the guy that catches the ball. I had to chase these little cornerbacks around trying to block them all the time. It wasn't, wasn't very easy to do. But I had a specific coach for that position, wide receiver, DB. I spent all day getting coached by him. But at the end of the day, he's teaching me how to run routes. He's teaching me how to catch. He's teaching me how to defend the ball. But we all had the same objective. And that was, well, certainly to win the game. Uh, but more than that, to play to, our, to play to our best skill, that we would become the best we could be, and that that would likely win the game. And just like that, here's what Christ has done. He has given some to be quarterbacks coaches, some to be running backs coaches. These are apostles, prophets. He's done this different skill so that why? So that what would happen? We would become the best equipped to win the game. What's, well, this is a whole different game, though. We're now dealing with human hearts and human minds. Eternal, eternal life. Souls that go on forever. This is the primary purpose of his church, that we would grow up together being equipped for ministry. This is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, here's who we are. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you then on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have been given the ministry and message of reconciliation. It's who we are, believers. It's who we are, church. We are called. We are gifted Every one of you in here, if you claim Christ, are ministers. Every one of you. This is fantastic news. You are called to ministry. And our goal as we come together then is to be better prepared today than we were yesterday. That as we leave these walls today, we would go, wait a minute. I think, I think all the more that this is what God is calling me to do. And I, I need to hunt for those kind of people in my life that would that are doing it right. You know, the people in my life that I see that they're, they're, they have a serious walk with Christ, that they have a model for reaching their community. I want to know what they're doing so that I can learn. This is the church called the ministry. And everything we need is already here. And if we lack anything, I, I truly believe that Christ is either sending it soon or it's already here. Maybe it's you. If we're lacking something here that, that we need to equip, it's probably one of you sitting here already that he's going to elevate. Here's the second. And this is where this message starts to get 
more interesting. It's great. Christ has given us everything we need. We know that we can equip. This is all about discipleship. And now he's also equipping. We're being equipped for maturity. We're being equipped for maturity. I know some of you in the room, you're like, I kind of want to, Jonathan, I want to be young forever. Sorry. It just doesn't work like that. And in fact, the longer you drag that out, the more foolish you're going to look over time. If, if you've ever seen any of these movies, and there's a, there's a buku of movies about people, one of them that comes to mind immediately is Failure to Launch. All of these kinds of movies where people just will not grow up, and they end up making a comedy out of that. You don't want your life to be a comedy, and the church is certainly not a place of, that should be a comedic. No, we're being equipped for maturity. Verse 12 through 14 give us such a wonderful view of that. The word it uses here is that we would be building up. The word there, building up, is oikodome. Oikos means house. Dome, it's where we get the word dome. It means the roof or the house. So it, it literally means here that you would be building the house to the point where you're putting the roof on. Now, I'm no builder, but I'm assuming generally that's what people do. You start with your foundation, you build the walls. Last thing you probably do is the roof. That's the idea of this, this building up. Is he saying, I want, I have, I have no interest in you, church, just continuing to be scaffolding. That's, that's not what I've designed. Now, you have a season of that. You're going to have a season where you're down to the studs. And maybe for some of you, you need to take life down to the studs a little bit. Maybe you built some things that weren't built on Christ. Maybe you spent a lot of your life putting tile in and putting stuff on the walls. And when it was all said and done, you looked at it and went, wow. Nothing in here is on level. No, nothing in here makes sense. But the idea that we would stay in some point of being down to the studs is not Christ's intent. No, he desires to put the roof on the building. This is why he uses, instead of this building approach, he uses this body approach. This is a common theme in Christianity in the Bible is this idea of the body. The body of Christ of which Christ is the head. The head being the brain, the thought, the emotion. It comes from the head. And we are his limbs. We are his organs, his body. This is the way it's described here. And that the more we come into knowledge, the more that we come into uh, uh, knowing and, and maturing in Christ, the more these other things begin to unfold. Now this word knowledge here in verse 13 is the idea of a precise kind of thing. Precise in such a way that you would really... What Paul is arguing for is that you would really know, really know Christ. Not just, look, there's a lot of people that know of Jesus. I mean, it's not that uncommon. You can just about go anywhere, especially in the United States, and people have heard of Jesus. And most people generally think good of him. He's a good prophet. He was a miracle worker. He's a good guy. Seems like he, he meant well and... Just about anybody will tell you that, but do you really, really know him? Because to know him results in these features that the church, our main, one of, if not our, our very most main goal as the church, is that we would know Jesus better every day. Like if, if we could do just one thing right as a church, that we would know Christ better every day. I have no doubt if we could do that, if we would do that, all of this other stuff would unpack itself. So I'm confident that you, the church, you Christians, when you and I, when we spend time with Christ, we get to know him better in his word, we spend more time with him in prayer, our goal being, I want to know you, I want to know you better. I want to hear from you, speak to me, speak to me here, speak to me, Lord. The better I know him, the more I'm going to do all these things with a heart of joy. These things will begin to come true. This is the goal of the church, the body of Christ, to get to know him. And what happens? Verse 13, which I have to admit, Paul likes to do this. It's a bit of a run-on sentence. Okay? He just, and the Greek is worse, okay? You don't need to study Greek to get this. But if you studied this in ancient Greek, they didn't like punctuation. They also didn't really like spacing. So if you tried to read this, it looks like a word this long. You're like, I have no idea what that is. What is that? That's one of Paul's wonderful run-on sentences. Think, you should be thankful that you studied English. There's some nice helps in there. Commas, for instance. Commas are great. 
But he just goes this huge run on, and I think it's on purpose. It's like he gets inspired by the Holy Spirit all the mo- in this moment. He's, he's obviously writing by the power of the, of, of the Spirit of God, and he says, man, if we as a church would come to the knowledge of Christ, if we would start to grow in this way, we're going to get maturity. We're going to get to the measure of the fullness of Christ. We're going we're we're to no longer be like children. There's like no periods in there at all. He just starts going, look what we would be. If we would take seriously our walk with Christ Jesus. This is what Christ wants for us. This is the goal of the church. Mature manhood it says. Now before all you women in the room check out. That word manhood like so many other places in the Bible. Is to describe humankind. Humanity. That we would be become, we'd be becoming mature humans. No longer acting like children. This word literally means to be a full age, fully grown, finished. <laughs> that you would re- reach a point of finishing. This is this direct contrast he's making. That you're going to move beyond acne. You're going to move beyond the mood swings. And the, the joint pain. Some of you, there's, well, none of you really in the room are still dealing with the joint pains. I think we're all past that as I'm looking around in here. You still get joint pains every once in a while? Still growing a little bit over there? I don't know. I'm not. Every once in a while I still get acne, but it's not really from growing up. It's from probably eating too much grease. I don't know. This is the idea of mature manhood, that you would move beyond this stage of life. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. And how? That you would look to the fullness of Christ. And then in verse 14, it gives us the contrast, the one we needed, so that we would no longer be like children. The Greek here is the word, really the word infant. It's a metaphor for being unskilled, untaught, being a baby. Paul is, I think, in a really nice, gentle, gentle kind of way, and he's not always so gentle. In a gentle way, he's saying, you know, Christians, Ephesus, church at Ephesus, can you do me a favor? Can you all stop acting like babies? Stop being babies over there, okay? Because when you just believe everything, every single thing you hear, you're acting like a child. You're acting like an infant. When everything, every wind of doctrine comes through, everything that tickles your ear, you go, oh, that must be true. I better chase that. <laughs> That's what children do. They see butter, butterfly, butterfly, that, or, or the squirrel type. Some of you are squirrels. A, a nut. And you just take off running. Don't be like that, he says. The more that you grow in Christ, the more you, you really study and, 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 and hear from him, the more you go, okay, what you just said, that don't line up with this. So I'm not going to just jump in that ocean where you're seeking to drown me. I'm not going to do that because that's not Jesus. You're, you're giving me something else. No longer be like babies. Babies, just so you know, I've noticed this. I've had four of them. They're just totally controlled by their appetites. And I have, I have no doubt that God gave each and every one of them a sound that would irritate 99.9% of you. There's the point one of you out there that somehow can just zone out and not hear it. I'm not one of those. And not all of my children made the same sound, but every one of them had a sound that made me go, and start making my right eye twitch. And the reason that God gave them that is because otherwise, we probably wouldn't monitor all of their appetites. It's for their own good. However, it's extremely frustrating. When they need to sleep, what do they do? They make that God-awful cry sound that's killing you slowly. But if you don't help them, they they have trouble even getting themselves to sleep. They certainly can't feed themselves, so they make another sound. And moms are really good at this. I know it's Father's Day, but we need to admit something, dads. All the cries sound the same. I don't know what moms are talking about. They all sound the same. Well, that's the least hungry right now. Oh, okay. I believe you. Sounded like the same cry when you said he had a dirty diaper. I, I don't know. But they make this sound that makes us go, oh, we must, we must attend to that because they're just controlled constantly by their appetites, regardless of where those desires take them. All you got to do is watch a child begin to grow. Guess what they want to do? They, they, they want to touch a hot fire. They just want to touch it. Oh, that looks cool. I don't know if it's going to burn me, but I want to touch that. They're just, they, they live by their desires. They live by what they, what they want. And this is how so many of your friends and family live. This is how so many people in your community live. Paul says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, don't be like babies anymore. When you spend more time with Christ, when you spend more time getting to know Him, you're no longer carried around. I love this tossed and fro of verse 14. Carried. That's the idea that you wouldn't be led away. 
and, and not even know it. That no longer would you just be carried into something and not be aware that it was happening to you. Some of you have had these experiences in life. I don't know if it was college. I don't know if it was when you were young. That many of you, if, if I was to give you a moment of testimony, you would say, you know, I, got, I started walking around with the wrong crowd. I started running with the wrong crowd. That's so many people's testimony. That's the very notion of this. That you would be carried off. That somebody would take you by the hand and say, hey, let's go over here and do really dumb stuff. Let's go over here and do some stuff that's not good for you. So many of us have that testimony. Paul is saying the more that the church is equipping, the more that the church is building itself, the more that you find true friends in the body of Christ, the kind of friends that want you to look more like Jesus every day and not those other friends that would like to drag you down with them, the more you're doing that, the less this is even possible in your life. You're no longer carried around. This word carried has this idea of being floated down the river. I don't know if Paul had this in mind, but I immediately thought of Moses, like Moses as a baby. <laughs> now, this was in order to protect him, but however, his mother just put him in a basket and just floated him down a river in hopes that he would live because the government, the Egyptians, were killing the firstborn. They were killing the children. They were killing the boys, and so she floated him down the river. This is the very same idea of what Paul's talking about here is that so many of us Instead of knowing, really knowing Christ, we're just floating down a river like babies in a basket. And everything, there's a reason, my friend, if that's you, there's a reason that one day you're happy and the next day you're completely anxious. The next day you're completely depressed. It's because your life is making you seasick. You're floating down a river. And everything you hear, oh, that kind of sounds good today. And then you hear something different tomorrow that's in complete contrast to what you heard yesterday. And you can no longer figure out what's true. Paul says, no, Jesus. Walk with believers. Be equipping one another for ministry. Start walking with some people who are on track. I'm heading towards my Savior, Jesus. If you want to come with me, come on. Find those people in your life. I hope they're here. I'm looking around. I believe that's most of us here. We're, we don't always get it right. But we're heading towards Christ Jesus together. I want to be equipped for ministry. I no longer want to be carried by every wind of doctrine, he says. We have a word for those kind of people that are carried by every wind of doctrine. It's not a good one. It's the word gullible. 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Too many of us have got that in reverse. We know very well the things of evil, but we do not know Christ. He goes on to say some really cool things. <laughs> that you would be carried by human cunning and craftiness. I had to let you all see this because I found this word fascinating. The word here, human cunning, is the word cubea. It's where we get the word cube or dice. It's a fascinating word. He's literally saying, stop rolling the dice on what you think. <laughs> it's a metaphor for like, don't be deceived by, by cunning dice throwers. I, I don't know. I've never really played dice with anybody. But I, I know I've had some friends growing up. I had a friend named Bobby, a good friend of mine, was an absolute cheat when it came to Monopoly. All right, You would think Monopoly. How do you cheat at Monopoly? The dude would hide money under the table and go, well kind of bankrupt, you know, I don't think I can pay for this. And I feel bad. I'm like, what the heck? If you get knocked out, you know, the game's not going to be as fun. Late in the game, all of a sudden, he's pulling money out of them. Where'd that come from? Like, just, you've played with some cheats. Maybe you're one of them. <laughs> Have fun playing board games and cheating. That sounds great. That's how some people live life. Crafty and cunning. Friends, we just don't get to simply just slide by. It's not real. It's not real life. We don't slide by. You either go on the course you choose or you go on the course someone else chooses for you. You don't slide by. None of us are like boulders, immovable. No one can make me do anything. None of us are boulders. No, we're, we're either, we're both on the, on the sea. We're either boats or we're driftwood. We're either, we either, okay, I have, a, I have a trajectory. Maybe for you it's not Christ. Maybe your trajectory is not quite where it should be. But you're on a course to something, success, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I can't wait to be in a, a, a relationship. or You've got some kind of trajectory, but this one is straight. This one's off course. But so many of us are just driftwood. All right, we're, 
I'll just let it take me where it takes me. But ignorance of this kind is not. It may seem like peace. It may seem like it's easy going. It may even seem like kindness to you that like I don't, I don't really take a stance on anything. That might seem like kindness, but it's not. It's ignorance. And ignorance, my friends, is not bliss at all. It's not. It's just <laughs> immaturity. Maturity is a primary goal for Christian leaders. Paul writes to the Colossian church, Him, Him being Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Just so you know, this is our goal as Christian leaders, that we would present the church mature. And James writes in James 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance then finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing, not lacking anything. Here's the final, the final way that we would be equipped for unity, by being equipped for unity. This is how Paul ends his, his, his stanza here in chapter 4. By saying we will all attain the unity. We will be joined and held together. This word unity has to do with cooperation. That we would be unified under the faith. A faith that this unity has nothing to do with the way you come to the table. It's the way that Christ has changed you. That means that this unity has nothing to do with all of the things that our culture says matter. This, this, this is, I think, maybe the greatest problem facing us is, is not so much that, okay, there, this, this sinful thing is happening and this one and that one. No, it's this idea that we need to identify ourselves by anything other than Christ. That, okay, I'm a white man or I'm a black lady or I'm this. There's this identity complex going on in our society. And Paul is really teaching, the church is really at its core teaching the polar opposite of this. That unity is not based on race, creed, status, education, career. It's the banner of faith in Jesus. That's it. That's the staple of who we are as the church. That means it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you do for work. You know, in some other places of the world, we often judge ourselves really harshly by saying, you know, we have all these boundaries for race and gender and these things. There are other places in the world that just being poor can make you just totally a, a, an outcast. There's, there's no perfect places in the world. If, if you keep thinking, oh, I got to get out of America or something. I've been to some other places. There's no perfect ones. They just have different problems. Our problems are much like theirs on the notion that the church should be unified under the banner of Christ and all of these other things are secondary, if not tertiary. They're way down the list. So what makes us, what unifies us, what bonds us is not that you and I do the same job. It's not that you and I look alike. It's not even that you and I like the same movies. It's not even that you and I agree on every little thing. That's not what unifies us. It's not that we grew up the same. Some of you had fatherless homes. Some of you had great fathers. It's none of that stuff is what unifies us in the faith. What unifies us is the blood of Jesus. And that alone. That's it. Now, if you can't unify under that banner, you've not come to the right church. You've not come to the right place where all we have together, all that unites us, is that Christ died for us and we know we need it. We know desperately how we need it. He says we're being equipped now that we may all attain. This is Paul. This is the spirit of God's goal in verse 13. That we would attain the unity of the faith. This, I think, maybe as much as anything has been to the greatest demise of the church. That when the community would see a church no longer unified. And it happens all the time. The horror stories of these church breakups. People that can't get along and it never has anything to do with the blood of Jesus. It's something that doesn't matter. What a terrible witness that is. It's a terrible witness. In fact, people, I have a, I'm convinced that if we would be unified under Christ Jesus, that we would begin to equip one another and love one another and guide one another towards maturity. That's the kind of place people actually want to come. 
Even if we don't have all the bells and whistles, guess what we did today? I went to Schedule Planning Center, and nobody was really available. Love you, Christy. You're always available. It's pretty great. Although you're leaving me on July 4th. It's going to be interesting. It's your anniversary. You have an excuse. And I have, I have Avery, me. I, I wanted a bigger band. If you came today, you're like, where's the big band today? I don't know. Where is the big band today? Didn't happen. We don't have the fog. We don't have fancy lights on the wall. I'm convinced, though, people don't really care about that. I hope. Because what they really care about is do these people love one another and do they really believe what they're saying? Do they really believe in this Jesus? When they find that church, they'll stick around. I'm convinced of it. Yeah, maybe we'll have bells and whistles some days, some days we won't. But that stuff's irrelevant. If we don't have unity, none of it matters. We must have unity. Unity under the banner of faith in Jesus. And he goes on in verse 15. He says, then those kind of people, those unified kind of people, they're able to speak the truth in love. They're no longer lying to each other. They're no longer trying to kind of, oh, you know, but he's my friend. He's, I don't really want to bring that up. I, there's, I got to tell y'all, the more and more <laughs> that situations are happening in my life and I look back on them and go, yeah, I should have said something. I sh- and I've got story after story of these now. People that I thought 10 years ago, I should have said something. 10 years later, I didn't say anything. And look what happened to a Christian brother or sister that I should have just at that moment. And I don't know if they would have received it. But perhaps God was sharing something with me that I should have shared with them to go, if you continue that course, it is going to be a disaster. Why, didn't I know, why did I not open my mouth? That's speaking the truth out of love. There's that problem. Some of us just shy away from it. And we, I know the truth, but I'm scared to hurt their feelings. No, the speaking the truth in love is, you are my brother. You are my sister, and I care more about who you become than your current comfort. Of course, there's the other brand of you and some of you are this if you're fine speaking the truth it's the in love part trust me the church should be both of these some of you need a little salt that meal is a little bit dry a little bit bland it was meat you gave me meat but it was not salty it was hard to swallow god the, the unity of the faith gives us both that we would no longer shy away from speaking truth and we would definitely do it in love That we would grow up in every way. This is that body uh, vision again. That every limb would begin to come together. Unified under one banner. Working properly. Verse 16. Efficiently. Pursue unity. Pursue unity again and again. I don't know what's going on in our small groups. I'm in one of them. I hope that they're all doing well. But look church. if, If you're having problems. If you're sitting over here today. Because you don't like those people over there. We need to fix that today because <laughs> this is our greatest witnessing tool. Our greatest witness is our unity. You're smiling over there. I'm worried. What y'all do to them? <laughs> y'all need to make this right. Sometimes things get, they get dicey sometimes. You know what I noticed growing up in a family? I love my brothers and sis- my brother and sister. Sometimes we fought. But it didn't mean we stopped loving each other. And we had the kind of family that you couldn't leave things unturned. You didn't, we didn't sweep things under the rug. And that's a good model. That's a good model for the church. Handle your business swiftly. As the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's good application for all relationships, not just married ones. Unity, unity, pursue unity. Paul says to the Corinthian church, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Earlier in Ephesians, where we are today, it's written, be humble and gentle in every way, be patient with each other and lovingly accept each other. Through the peace that ties you together, do your best to maintain the unity that the Spirit gives. I want to end with this thought. That we have this common temptation. And you're here today, you're in the right place, you're at church today. But I want to to reveal to you something that so many are tempted by. And that is this idea that we could reach our potential, reach spiritual maturity solo. And so many of us, even you, probably at times are tempted by this, that 
we are in such a society, a society of self-help and DIY. I don't really, at the end of the day, I don't really need people. But this is not how the body works. This is not how the church works. And COVID confused us real bad. It, some, people got, some people really haven't come back since COVID. Maybe some of them are watching online. We have no idea how to monitor that. However, this thing happens when we show up together. It's why, and I didn't even bring this up earlier, but this, this phrase, one another, all together, one another, it appears like several hundred times in the New Testament. The church is meant to be one another. It's not a solo act. There's some highly gifted people in, in the text of Scripture. There's some highly gifted Christians in our world today. And none of them are called to do a solo mission. We're all called to do it in unity, the body unified. Because this is how the body works. Now, let me just help you think about this for just a moment. I've found that every once in a while I get a really bad headache. I don't know what causes it. Migraine kind of stuff sometimes. You know what I've noticed? All of the pain is right here in the front. Sometimes it kind of wraps around to the back. Sometimes light can be hard. I'll even get nauseous at times. You know what I've observed when that happens to me? I don't want to do anything. Now, from here down, nothing hurts. But for some reason, these, these parts of my body, they're like, we need to lay down. Like All of this, it says, we need to go lay down. We need to put ice on this. We need to take something. The rest of my body goes, we're not doing anything. And yet, for, for whatever reason, we like to live life as if that's not still true in society. Like, it's not still true in the church when Christ has called us to be the body of Christ. And we say, well, I just want to be this little finger that rips itself off and goes over here somewhere. But we really need that little finger. If you've ever broken a toe, you'll realize it's kind of hard to run, especially if you break the big one. He's really important. It's like, Man, I can't run good. He's just a goofy little toe. No, he was really important. My goofy little toe just wanted to stay home today. No, we need that guy. This is how the body is intended to work. It's why Christ gave us this illustration. We were not called to DIY church. We weren't. We were called to be the body as one, united. And that's what motivates the world to go, wait a minute. That Jesus, that Jesus thing looks inspiring. That Christ, that church thing, I want to be a part of it. That, that, that group of, that community of believers who actually really love each other. What would that look like? Look, all of you in the room, you've got, you've got jobs where you go to places and you know, you know this. You've got relationships with people that are really surface. You say nice things to each other because you work together, but you don't love these people. Now, maybe you could. Maybe God's going to move on that. But what would it look like to come to a place where you're like, these are people that I can call and say, hey, I'm having, I'm having a tough time. Can you come over and talk to me? Hey, I'm going out of town. Do you, you mind feeding my cat and watering my garden? Those are some good people. You know, Those are the kind of people you need in your life. That's the church. That's, that's what sets us apart. This isn't just another club. This isn't just another place where people come together to, to be a part of a clique. No, we're going, to, we're going up together. We've got a long time to spend together. We better start figuring this thing out. One of our primary pursuits as a church is unity. Protect the unity, believers. Do you, do you have a dedication to your fellow believers in small group? To those people sitting on the row with you? Do you really desire that they would look more like Jesus every day? That's what the church is about. Will you commit to grow up with us in ministry, in maturity, and in unity? Let's now pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who unifies us. That you are a God who gives us something worth joining over. You did that, Lord. You did what we could not do. We could not save ourselves. We could not fix our problems. You fixed them. You set us free. You saved us by your grace, by the blood of Jesus, by your sacrifice. You set us free. And all we can do today is praise you and thank you. You are deserving of our worship and so much more. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. And thank you, Lord, on an even bigger scale that you would call us to ministry. 
(laughs) that not only did you save us, you called us. Regardless of our upbringing, regardless of the mistakes we've made, regardless of what we've done in this life, each and every one of us, you have given us a ministry. And it's going, to, it's going to look unique for each of us. Not every one of us was called to preach. Not every one of us was called to be on stage and worship. Not every one of us was called to, to, to all five of these things. But each and every one of us was skilled and gifted and called to something. I'm so thankful for that. God, you could have really done it different. You could have done all of the work yourself, but for whatever reason, in your wisdom, you wanted us to be a part of your kingdom come. And I, in my heart, I'm thankful for that. That I get to be a part of the work, your work on earth. That's wonderful news. I'm asking today, Lord, would you do something miraculous? Perhaps someone has come in today, and that's, that's news to them. That ministry isn't just a word they, that describes some kind of pastor or something. No, that ministry is each and every one of our, our mission. Every saint, every Christian has been given the message of reconciliation. That Christ died for us and set us free. Every single one of us. God, would you do the, the miraculous work of, of now changing their, the way they're thinking, the, the way their heart is towards their co-workers, towards their neighbors, towards their family members, that they would begin to see, you know what? I too am on mission. We are all on mission as ambassadors of reconciliation. God, remind us of that every single day, certainly as we leave this place today, but when we wake up early tomorrow, when we face whatever Monday looks like, as we face our work week, as we face our families, some of us have broken families, some of us have relatives that are far from you, God, that you would remind us again and again, encourage us, embolden us, we are your ambassadors. God, mature us. I pray that you would make an unquenchable, unquenchable thirst, an unquenchable kind of hunger in each and every one of us for you. That nothing would feed that void like time spent with you. That you would do that in your church. That you would make the study of your word and prayer, time spent with you, with you Lord Jesus, that you would make that so life-giving that we would hunger for it. Don't let us... Don't let us try to feed our appetites on anything else other than you. God, bring us to maturity as you promise in this. and Give us unity. Unify your church, Lord. I don't know. I don't know of any situation going on right now, but perhaps, Lord, inside of our church, inside, amongst our members, amongst our attenders, maybe there's some fighting. Maybe there's some people not getting along so well. Would you bring that to their minds right now? Give them the grace to overcome that together. Give them the the willingness and grace to overcome that. That our church would model unity to a broken world. A a place that is so far from unified that we would be different. That our love and our grace and our unity would set us apart. Would you do that in us? Protect us. In all of these things, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.